This is Sterling Stepback Gibbs, and I'm here with my guys, Left Coast Pirates. Listen in. Morton will try to go all the way. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around it in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to Left Coast Pirates. It is December 12th, 2021. And Mikey, I'm afraid we're already going to go off the rails. You know, normally we get to have a day break after the last game the Pirates play for the week. So it gives us some time to digest it to kind of get over our happiness or our sadness or our anger. You know, we get past those emotions, Mike, and we get to kind of get a critical look at these games. But but because it was a late Sunday game, oh man, we are going to be all over the board. Mike, I am, I'm emotionally compromised right now, Mike. I'm just telling you right now. Tommy, Tommy, I always tell you, don't podcast angry. Now I'm going to tell you, podcast professionally <laughs> keep it together over there we I got a long no show promise. i make no promises Tom, Mike, we gotta get through my... two big wins put put the wine down for a second I've got my celebratory drink going here so let's I, see how it goes I'm, I'm gonna take one more swig of my beer and then we're gonna put our game face on and we're gonna do this two big wins for the pirates there's a lot to cover but let me put it into context for you it, it's december right you said last podcast mikey can you believe it's december and i said no tom it kind of snuck up on me. And what's December all about? December is all about the holiday time and being with family. And that, that's kind of what I'm going to relate these two wins and this big week for the Pirates, right? We all have our own family, right? It's not always perfect. They all have their flaws. You got the drunk uncle. You got the aunt who leaves her lipstick all over your face. You know, you still get stuck as an adult at the kids' table, even in, you know, in your 40s. But it's our family. So we love them. We celebrate each other and we are proud of who we are. Well, Seton Hall basketball, Tommy, is also family. And while times it might not be perfect or pretty or whatever you want it to be, they are still our pirates. And sometimes no matter what, it's all that matters is that they win. And Tommy, when they did, when they did when it mattered, Top 10 upset at home against number seven, Texas, and they beat on their little stepbrother in Rutgers. I- I'm happy. I- I'm, a- I'm rolling around like a pig and you know what. But, but-, but I, got- I got one more thing. Another thing about family. Sometimes with family, you know, big brother needs to put little brother back in their place. 
You know, little brothers kind of looking up to big brother going, hey, look what I can do. I'm good. I I can keep up. I beat Purdue. Look at me, everybody. Look at me. And that's what has to happen. Big brother needs to slap little brother around once in a while, put him in a headlock, give him the noogie, and then send them back to go play with the little kids. Get off my lawn, Tommy. Get off my lawn. I am so glad that we're going to be professional tonight. This is going to be a long night. So today on a podcast, we will review the wins against number seven, Texas and Rutgers. And we will preview the upcoming game against Iona. But first, Seton Hall 64 Texas 60. The students arrived early and were ready to go from the opening tip. And so were the Pirates, jumping out to a crowd-pleasing 14-6 lead behind eight quick points from Miles Kale. However, the second Kale 3 also drew a technical foul for trash-talking, which jump-started a 13-point turnaround for the Longhorns, spearheaded by Trey Mitchell's 13 points in the first half. But Jared Roden and Alexis Yetna combined to score the final 16 points of the half for the Hall to get a 37-37 tie at the break. The second half was a good old rock fight at the Rock. The Longhorns, who shot 55% in the first half, were held to just 23 points on 10 of 32 shooting. And at that point, Kevin Willard turned things over to his closer from the Michigan game. Bryce Aiken, who was scoreless in the first half, scored 10 big points, including a clutch three with 35 seconds left to give the Hall a four-point lead. Then he iced the game from the line with two clutch free throws. All right, Tommy, box score on this one. Jared Roden, 18 points, seven of 18 from the floor five rebounds. Alexis Yetna, double-double, 12 points, 11 rebounds. Surprisingly, though, all 12 of those points came in the first half. And your boy's back. He did it against big-time competition. Tyree Samuel, seven points, 11 big boy rebounds, six on the offensive side. And Tommy, where'd this come from? Four blocks. Four blocks for Tyrese. You haven't been paying attention, Mikey. I haven't seen it before, but let's not go there yet. I'm still doing my stats, please. Texas, Trey Mitchell, 19 points and 11 rebounds. And Timmy Allen was also doing work underneath the rim. 17 points and 12 boards for the Longhorns. On the team stats, three-point shooting. Ugh. Seton Hall, 24%, 5 of 21. And Texas, 1 of 13 a paltry 8%. And remember, they came into the game shooting 39% on the year. Seton Hall, they just they held the advantage slightly in almost every category. Plus four rebounding, plus four in blocks, plus three in steals, plus eight from free throw attempts, and plus three on points off turnovers. Tommy, pick any category you want. They did the little things that make the difference in a close game. The turning point for me, I, I thought they could have run him out of the building, believe it or not. You know, it, it could have been the, the, the Kale technical, but I'm going to say no. It could have been the Ike Obiagu ankle injury early on, but I'm going to say no. With six minutes and change to play, Kadari Richmond commits an offensive foul and a subsequent turnover, and then Willard pulls him in favor of Aiken, who is at this point, remember, 
oh of six from three, and he's just chucking the ball left and right. I'm having one of those, come on, Bryce, take a good shot kind of moments in the game at that point, just kind of screaming at my TV. What does he do? He proceeds to miss two more shots, driving me nuts, but Willard still rewards him for his clutch play previously. And then he delivers in the final moments with the biggest plays of the game, including that step back three to give him the four point lead. I, that, that to me, that was a clutch move by Willard to take one guy out who was struggling in place where somebody else was struggling and it paid dividends in terms of pulling out the big victory thoughts. You know, Mikey, it's going to be really easy to put on those blue tinted glasses and talk about what went well. But let's start off with one thing that we tend to be real critical about. We have been very, very critical about the crowd, the fans not showing up over the years, sitting on their hands, not being excited. But wow. What a crowd. The crowd was so crazy that Texas's Trey Mitchell himself had to say that the environment was just as wild as at Gonzaga, even though the students aren't as close to the court as they are up there in Washington. And there were moments when it was deafening. Who would have thought that a Seton Hall crowd could have been described in this manner? Kudos, guys. Well, I, it, the criticism that we had going into this game relative to the crowd was not unwarranted. You know, leading up to this game, they were struggling to sell, you know, sell the tickets and get this to be a sellout, which on paper it automatically should when you could bring in a top 10 non-conference opponent into the rock. Hey, the fans stepped up. We saw the ticket sale momentum picking up right before the game. And lo and behold, right before tip or that day of Seton Hall is announcing that it's a sellout and they got there on time. How many times do you see on these weekday games on a, on a Thursday night that the crowd is, is uh, arriving late? The student section was packed. They were there. They were juiced up early. They got the guys excited. Even in the post game, they, you know, the players were telling Willard, oh, my God, do you, you, know, do you see what's out there? It, it makes a difference. It really does make a difference. So, like you said, hats off to the fans. They brought the energy the entire night. And I think when you're in that type of close game down the stretch or even throughout the entire environment, when you need a pickup, it's that's it was there. And there's been times where, you know, we've been waiting for the fans to erupt or, you know, if the Seton Hall made one more shot, oh, the building was going to, you know, the roof was going to blow off the building. There were moments in the game where we needed that big shot and the fans got excited before Seton Hall made the play. That was noticeable. That was different. Man, when that was exciting. Oh, they had a lot to be excited about, Mike, and I think part of it is what is that Seton Hall calling card this year so far? It's got to be that defense, and I know you're going to point out certain portions of the game when it was better than not, but Mike, I'm going to tell you this. They held Texas, the number seven team in the country, to 23 second half points, Michael. There was a seven-minute stretch that they didn't score a bucket until Allen put in the basket to cut the lead back to two before uh, Bryce iced the game with the final two free throws. But it was the last four minutes when they held them as part of that seven-minute stretch that really stood out to me because there were elite defensive-type plays that were being made by all members of the team, right? There was the play where Roden's diving on the floor trying to create a turnover, and it ends up resulting in a shot clock violation. You got Yetna forcing Allen to step out on numerous occasions. 
You got Miles Kale locking down Marcus Carr. Marcus Carr is a bad man with the basketball in his hands. He can blow by you in the blink of an eye. And how many times did Miles recover and force him to try to then back him down in the post? And he tried to go left. He tried to go right. He tried to pump fake. And Miles was having none of it. When Seton Hall was up by four after Bryce hit those two free throws at 14 seconds of play, I'm like, just do not let them rush it down the floor and get an easy layup. I'm also saying don't foul a three-point shooter here and do anything stupid. But, Tom, they made him use 10 seconds of that of that game clock before they even got up a difficult two-point attempt. I mean, everything they did down the stretch was just rock solid on the defensive end. You're right. It's the calling card, man. Defense travels on the road. Hopefully we'll see that later in the season. But once again, a lot to be excited about. And I'm going to tell you, the first half wasn't too shabby itself. I know that Texas went something like 8 of 8 or 9 for 9 in that first half. But there was a high level of difficulty in a lot of those shots. Like you were saying about Marcus Carr. Marcus Carr was hitting a lot of difficult shots in that run. And you know what? We stayed with it. We kept to our basics and we played very well. Yeah, I know we're going to do deep thoughts with Kevin Willard later on, but there is one thing that he said in the post game of, of this matchup, which I thought was really resonated. You know, it goes back to the metrics of how the college game has changed, right? You want to get to the rim. You want high percentage twos on dunks and layups. You want to get that three point shot up and you, know, you don't want to shoot 20 percent or like Texas did make one of 13. You want to shoot in that like low 30s, mid 30s from the three point range. And that's the metrics of the game. And Willard told his team at halftime, I mean, Texas was shooting what, like 55 percent? for the first half and you're like what's our defense doing but that's not what Willard told his team he's like you're fine you're doing exactly what you're supposed to keep on making them take tough two-point shots and in the end of the day they will start missing them so just don't get frustrated stick with the game plan and lo and behold you said it in the recap what was the number 10 of 32 10 of 32 in the second half I think they ended up shooting you know in the in the low 40s for the game they started at 55 percent in the first half I mean Good for Willard. Stay the course. Good leadership from the the headmaster here. I'm just so excited about the defense of this team. You know, it's funny. Last week, Willard was complaining about having to play too many guys. And I said, be careful about what you're complaining about because it might bite you in the butt. And what happens? Ike Obiagu at about the five-minute mark into the game, rolls his ankle, can't play the rest of the game. But Tyree Samuel and Alexis Yetna came in and said, you know what? We got you, big man. We can both play the uh, five. All right. Let, 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 me, let me softball this up for you. Was it not Tyrese and Yetna's best game as a Pirate? Oh, I think it's absolutely their best games. You know, both of us have kind of been uh, complaining that the big number games for both of these guys have come against lesser opponents. And in this game, that's not the case. You got the number seven team. Can I mention that one more time, Mike? The number seven team in the country coming in. And we've got Tyree Samuel checking in on Trey Mitchell, who's been hot to start. I want to say he already had four or six points at the point he came in. He did. He had six. He made three for three to start the game. They dumped the ball right into Trey Mitchell right after Samuel checks in. First shot of the game on him, blocked. He said, you know what? I'm going to move my feet. I'm going to stay in front of you. I'm going to play hard. And Tyrese played hard all game long. Yeah, you know, 
One thing that people have said in the past about Tyrese is that his motor wasn't level. It, he always wasn't given that high-end effort. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I'm not going to go in and make disparaging comments on guys' effort level. But one thing has been noticeable about him. He's taking his big butt down low now, Mike. He's not hanging out on the wings. He's not really hanging at the top of the key. He's going down low, and he's getting his big butt in the middle and causing trouble. But they both did that. Yetna and Tyrese both did that. And I think another thing that I can add to what you just broke down is I thought the energy level from Tyrese was more consistent. I don't think Tyrese is lazy. I think people just criticize his consistency as to where he gives that level of energy. And at times he might float to the perimeter and therefore it looks like he's being more lackadaisical or sometimes he gets exposed by not moving his feet, man, he, he Tommy walled up. I, I know he had four blocks, but, but he also walled up on Trey Mitchell and I know Mitchell finished with 19, but he had to work for that 19. That was kind of reminiscent of Hunter Dickinson from Michigan getting his big night, but having to work for it in the second half. There was a mean streak that I noticed from both of those guys. There's one thing to get your butt down in the low post. It's another thing to do it with, you know, veracity, you know, ferociousness, wanting to go up to get that rebound, wanting to attack the rim on a slam dunk. And I thought you saw that from both the guys, specifically Tyrese, but, but Yetna too. Yetna did not dance around the three-point line as much in that game as he has throughout the season. There was a front court presence from both of those guys when Allen – and Mitchell were having really, really good games and carrying the Longhorns, and both of them struggled down the stretch. Once again, man, excited about the defense in terms of the depth, in terms of stepping up without Ike. We shut down front court guys that wanted to play in the post without Obiagu. Think about that. It's just impressive. Lots of, you know, like the offense was not, but there were so many good things about the defense that were. But I will say, Tommy, the offense showed some small signs. And I know this might be reaching a little bit, but twice Yetna got his butt into the post and the offense started from a dump down into the paint for him. And he had a little over-the-shoulder baseline shot on the right side. He spun to the middle and got fouled to get two free throws. Both of those possessions were successful. I'd like to see more of that. And then they went zone. End of, was it end of the first half? I think it was end of the first half. Right, they went zone. And you were like, well, okay, this this could get this could get worrisome. Seton Hall's not shooting the ball well from the perimeter, and Texas is going to throw a little wrinkle at us. You know, good for Coach Beard to try to game plan around our weakness, but no, they got the ball to Roden right at the free throw line. He turned around. They had to collapse. Bang, dumped down to Yetna, dunk. Then Kadari dribbled in from the from the wing, got right to that free throw line, extended. Once again, defense collapsed. Dumped it down to Yetna. He got to the line for two more free throws. They looked like they were prepared. Normally, they're not prepared offensively when they get thrown a defensive wrinkle by the opposing coach. And that was it. There was no more zone by Texas the rest of the night. Tom, some small signs, but not bad on the offensive side either. It is amazing what happens when your bigs get down in the block and start playing like they do. It opens up other things around. Now, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot we can complain about. And I am loath to ever really bring the officiating into this section of our criticism. No, I, they deserved it this game. I, they absolutely I don't like doing it. it, Mike. I like, you know, you win and lose based on how you play, minus one little game in 1989. But 
the refs this game and it's that James Breeding character all over Twitter. Everybody brings it up. You got your dailies. You got your Calvaruzos. Everybody complains about this guy. And to me, it's, it's always a cop-out. I don't like it. You're copping out when you're, coral, when you're complaining about the refs. But what a bunch of horse manure, Mike. That, that Let's start off early. Seton Hall's flying 14-6. to six. Kale just hits a second three. He's doing great. And they call a tech because he's trash talking? That was some of the most mild trash yeah. talk I've ever seen. I know. I, I, I know. It, it, it killed the momentum. I, th- I thought they really could have extended that to be a big double-digit lead early on. And, hey, Kale's finished with, what, 10 points on the game? Had eight right off the bat. So it, it kind of took Miles out of the game, too. I, I'm not blaming the ref. But, you know, how they were trying to control the game in a look-at-me, James Breeding, you know, type way that he does, that that drives me nuts. I'm, I wasn't saying we lost the game because of that technical. I get it. It wasn't just that. There were other points in the game, and we're going to get to the big one in a second, but they're checking for that flagrant foul when, like, Timmy Allen drives from Texas. They call him for the offensive. Fine. It was an offensive. Kind of, I think he raised the arm a little bit, created some contact, and, and the Seton Hall defenders kind of, like, flailing back like he got hit in the chin. Do we really have to stop the game and go to the monitor? Does everything around the shoulder area where the player's head is snapping back have to be we got to check for a flagrant one? Why can't it just be, and I know there's a point of emphasis around this, but why can't they just go, hey, look, we saw the play live. It it looked like a basketball play. There was nothing egregious, no blood, no foul. We called it offensive. Let's go the other way. Stop with killing the momentum of a basketball game, regardless of who it's going to benefit. But the foul count? The foul count? A 13-minute delay? Seriously? I, I don't even know what the final end result was. I'm watching from home, and it shows, you know, Seton Hall with, with six fouls and Texas with five, and then I'm getting texts from my buddy at the game showing me the big board saying it's five and five. Uh, so, so, I mean, it was right for Texas to challenge and say, hey, look, it should be six and five. I don't know who in the, in the arena made it five and five. I don't know who, who initiated the initial change. But 13 minutes to straighten that out? We couldn't take both game books from both teams, put them side by side and go, yeah, it's six. They were saying that they were going back to the offices in New York to verify. Four minutes ago in the game, 13-minute real-time delay. Unacceptable. And then right after that, they're coming back out, and Allen's foot is clearly on the baseline. I think breeding again. He calls it the right way. And then he goes to the monitor? You made the right call. You got to go to the monitor on yourself? They just controlled the flow of a really good basketball game and thank god it played out positively where both teams kind of stepped up and did their thing down the stretch but man that sucked i think they gotta figure out a better way how to do this i mean in football you have all these starts and stops so there's not really a flow you need to worry about so you can go to the monitor do your thing but in basketball you are killing the momentum basketball games can flow for minutes at a time and this just hurts it but you know what really hurt us, Mike? That three-point shooting that you were so bullish on this year, Mike. And we were just <laughs> not shooting well from three. They were 5 of 21 from three. Mike, my under call on that is looking good right now. Uh, anyway, you didn't call under, by the way. The number well, was like was 32%. Trick, okay? I went trick. It was 32%. You're like, I think they go to 34. I, I said they might shoot the high 30s. Uh, and, and I said maybe because Jameer Harris was going to contribute to that. We'll get to that in a second. 
when when they're not shooting well and we see that they're more successful getting to the line getting to the rim crashing the boards why are we still jacking them up i don't get that five of 21 it was fool's gold the first two games of the season it it is that's been more of the trend line than anything else i mean i would be happy if this team shoots 32 percent and the reality is you know egg on my face at this point and i hope he turns it around but at this point you know he is falling short of expectations. Jameer Harris had a rough game. Trey Jackson, maybe for him, called an off night. You know, he did have that big performance against Michigan. But combined, Jackson and Harris were negative eight and negative seven, respectively, in their plus minus for this game. And Willard, in my opinion, rightly limited their minutes to 21 combined. He shortened his rotation, Tom, with Obiagu being injured, down to six guys in this game. But th- that's okay, though. I mean, to me, this isn't sour grapes and grapes. These two guys are not stepping up to kind of create the depth and the rotation we wanted. But shouldn't that be a positive for Willard that he said, you know what? I'm not going to put these guys back in. I'm not going to see if they can catch fire. They're not They're not rolling tonight. I'm going with my six guys. And essentially, he cut it down to five because he took Kadari out at what I called the turning point with six and a half minutes to go. So he immediately just said, you know, what? I got five guys tonight that I trust. I'm rolling with those five guys. But they're going to need more from Harris and Jackson in terms of upping that three-point percentage, but also having that depth we talked about. And it wasn't there in this Texas game. Well, Harris and Jackson weren't the only ones that had a rough night. The announcing crews were definitely in a bad place. And my favorite whipping boy on the color, Jim Jackson, did not let me down, Mike. I told you, I prefer him in studio. He brings a lot of good insight to games from the studio setting. But on color, oh, my man Jim is having a rough time of it. Uh, I've said this before. I like Jim, but I'm starting to sour on Jim pretty quickly here. You know, this ha- I like following the landscape of college basketball throughout the day or throughout the week. And they're put up like, you know, what happened so far, you know, in college basketball with, with big moments. And he's like, look at that Wisconsin comeback down 22 at Indiana, right? It was at Indiana. No, Jim. No, it wasn't. I mean, could, could the play-by-play guy have corrected him? Nope. Nope. They just completely butch- butchered that one. And what drives me nuts is it's not the first time he's calling a Big East game that's involving Seton Hall. I mean, how many games has Jimmy called over the last couple of years for us? Uh, More than a handful, right? Yeah, Jimmy's been on the mic a few times for us. And now I get it. I get it. There's a Chris Samuels in the Big East, and sometimes that can get confusing with Tyrese Samuel, but you got to get that right. How many times did he call him Tyrese Samuels throughout the game? You know, Mike, because of what we do and how many times we kind of flub things, I'll give him a pass for adding an extra S to the end of a name. I get that. But you know what's undefendable, Mike, is that Fox actually didn't send the announcers to this game, nor did they send them to the Rutgers game that we're going to review in a heartbeat. Yeah, but it's just it goes beyond that. It's just just not the in studio broadcast that I'm upset with. No, no pregame show. You got you got a top ten or excuse me a top oh twenty five match. They had the replay of that Skip Bailey show that everybody hates so much. Well, that's my point. I mean, it was completely just space filler for Fox. You couldn't have a a thirty minute pregame to talk about a top twenty five matchup. You know, showcasing one of the potentially three marquee teams in your conference this year. You're trying to promote the brand of the Big East that you're going to have on TV throughout the entire year. What am I missing? 
On top of that, you go with a recorded halftime show. You got a 37-37 ball game. Probably tons of stuff to break down and get all excited about what you might see in the second half. And you go with the Syracuse-Georgetown pre-recorded rivalry history? How is that relevant? Why? Because they're going to play again this weekend? How is that relevant to that moment that night? You know, and, and then on top of that, and this is maybe more of a nitpick, but they immediately go to the St. John's Monmouth broadcast because I know we're, we're running over time with that 13-minute delay. Give me three minutes of post game with Willard or or somebody from Seton Hall, you know, Bryce Aiken who hits the shot. I mean, I missed Tom. I missed that entire 18 nothing start to the St. John's game last year because NASCAR ran long and NASCAR went down to the winner's circle. They went down to the winner's circle to interview that guy. We can't get two or three minutes before we got to go over to Mammoth St. John's. I, I don't mind that. You've got another Big East game on tap. You've got to start it. I get that. And you know what? That probably wouldn't happen but for James Breeding taking 13 minutes to figure out the foul situation in the second half. So I'll give him a pass on that. The the Georgetown-Syracuse thing, that's inexcusable as well. Uh, I got a question for you, Tony. Now, be, now, be honest with me now. How many glasses of wine have you currently had already? Is it just uh, one? I don't know. Have you had more than four. one? I don't know. We're having a fun time here, Mike. I'm celebrating. We beat the number seven team, and we put Rutgers in their place, Mike. How much fun are you really having? Because you're having that much fun. I think it's time to go to. And now, Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard. So Kevin was in a good mood, Mike, after that Texas game. I mean, who would it be? You win the game, you beat the number seven team in the country, and you're going to be excited about it. But outside of that, Mike, you know what else he did with that big victory? He ended up tying P.J. Carlissimo for 212 wins all time with Seton Hall and was asked about it. Uh, yeah, PJ's the gold standard of this program. He's the one that put this program on the map. He's the one that's uh, every Seton Hall coach from me to forever is going to – he gave us the blueprint, the roadmap. He, get, he put us on the map. Um, he is an unbelievable ambassador. He still is to this day. Everywhere he goes, uh, him and Coach Rafferty uh, sell Seton Hall probably better than anybody. Um, so it, it, it's an honor, but it's something that's uh, – I've always said there should be a statue of Coach PJ somewhere on campus. Coach and I agree. I agree. <laughs> even even Dave, first, Mike, how many even Dave Popkins said it on the post game that he did with Gary. He's like, you're right. We should build a, a statue of PJ. No, I, I'm, I'm kidding. Yes, I, I think we absolutely should build a statue of PJ. But uh, look, Coach is a, a different soundbite when they win. I think we clearly understand that. Uh, he's in a much more jolly mood. He's jovial. He's joking. But but I think he put it into context. You know, what he has accomplished, we should celebrate. We have to start realizing that the resume that he's building is going to have a long-term lasting impression on Seton Hall history. But at the same point, you know, he said it. I, I don't have the opportunity to do that. Other coaches don't get a chance to follow uh, in PJ's footsteps and represent such a great program and, and put more big wins on the map if PJ did not put the big wins on the map first, you know, he went through some really challenging times as a coach. He got Seton hall to the promised land and we all have the hope and, and wishes that we can get back there. So what PJ did for this program, we should never short it. And I think Willard, you know, he did the right thing. You know, he kind of 
was humble. He, he gave PJ his credit, and I think we should then give Coach his credit. Right yeah. now, they're they're nine and one, right? No, it was a very good quote. It was a very gracious. But let me just say this: it's amazing. You know, this post game presser was actually put up on YouTube by Seton Hall. Good job. Every one of coaches' post-game pressers should be up on YouTube. We should be able to consume it and see what Coach says without having to read it uh, on websites or newspapers. But let me put some people to task, Mike. Right before that quote, one of the reporters who will remain nameless goes up and talks about, oh, Rutgers just won the game on a half-court shot. And, you know, there's all this uh, all this rigmarole that happens there. And, and somebody from the Seton Hall side had, said, had to say, guys, questions for coach. How unprofessional are you guys that you sit there at a Seton Hall presser and actually start piping up about a game that's down the freaking turnpike show some professionalism you morons you guys are you guys should be ashamed of yourselves I'm going to put you at four or five glasses right now is what I'm going to put you Not at. Not at all, Mike. This has got nothing to do with it, man. Show some professionalism. This is why the newspaper profession is where it's at these days. Yeah, but but uh, he handled himself well. Like I said, when, when they win, he handles himself well. You know, th- then as he's answering a question, he's looking up at the monitor and he's calling a shot for Shavara in the Mammoth game. You know, and, and then he's going off in a diatribe with Fanta in his little post game talking about diehard. Oh, let's, when not, they start, win, let's not get into that. I, I'm I'll not. My what. point is when they win, coaches in good spirits, he shows a different side of his personality. Look, when he when they lose, he gives us a ton of sound bites to have fun with. I'll be honest, he doesn't have to give me a sound bite the entire season. Just win, baby. You can be jovial all the time. I'm I'm good with it. And when they did, Michael, cuz Seton Hall 77, Rucker 63. Both teams spent the first 16 minutes of the first half filling each other out like heavyweight fighters, leading to a 23-23 tie. Then Seton Hall found its legs and Kadari Richmond ignited a 14-0 run to get a 10-point halftime advantage. The Pirates would then extend to their large largest margin of the game at 16 when Jared Roden hit a jumper with 13.47 to go. But Rutgers would not go silently into the night. They cut the lead to six on two separate occasions. However, the closer was back at it again as Bryce Aiken scored 11 of his game-high 22 in the final six minutes to keep Rutgers at bay and make sure sure that Seton Hall faithful would go home happy. Rutgers would not go silently into the night. Did you just quote Independence Day? <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I, okay. I, uh, oh geez. The box score on this one. Uh, individually, Bryce Aiken, the man, the closer, whatever the heck you want to call him, 22 points. I couldn't believe it was 7 to 12. Hey, with the old shots that Bryce jacks up, you never think he's going to be 7 of 12 efficient, but he was. Jared Roden, 16 points, 6 of 17, but it felt like every one of those six shots was a big shot, and he also added nine boards. Jared just finds a way to kind of creep up on that double-digit rebounding every night. And then, as you mentioned, Kadari Richmond, 12 points, 5 of 9. He was instrumental into that big run in the first half. All 12 of those points were, once again, in the first half. 
For Rutgers, Caleb McConnell, 13 points, 12 rebounds. Cliff Omori, 13 points, six boards. And Ron Harper and Geo Baker combined for 21 points. But Tom, it took them 22 shots to get there, and they only made seven of them. So we shut down their supposed big boys offensively. You know, the team stats, I, I know we won by double digits, but the stats were incredibly even. I mean, listen to some of these numbers. Three-point shooting, Seton Hall, 5 of 21, 23%. Rutgers, 4 of 18, 22%. Seton Hall, plus four on the glass. Each team had eight assists. The turnovers were Rutgers 12, Seton Hall 11. Seton Hall from the free throw line, though, was plus five in attempts and plus five in makes. And Seton Hall had 10 steals, which leaded to a plus seven margin on points off a turnover. I think that's kind of where it boiled down to the difference. I know it was a 14-point margin, but, man, it, it, was, it was a lot closer than you realize when you pick up the stat sheet. To me, I think there's two turning points. And I know you always yell at me when I say there's two turning points. How could there be two turning points? I'm going to fight you on this one. I think there was. You got the first half where it's 23 all, and Seton Hall goes on that 14-0 run led by Kadari that takes them into the half up by 10. It gave them the breathing room that they needed to play ahead and not kind of squeeze the basketball and play nervous in front of that crowd thinking that they can't blow this one or they can't lose this must-win game, in my mind, to an inferior Rutgers team. Then in the second half, Rutgers cuts it to six with 6.38 to play, and then Bryce takes over. You know, Bryce is that closer. At that moment, he has the assist to Tyrese where he drives the lane and dishes off after two defenders come at him. Then he gets a layup. Then he hits one of his 27-foot bombs, and that pushed the lead back to 13. And I'm sorry, that, that, that was it. The game, the game was over at that point. Rutgers maybe had another run in them. Uh-uh. There was nothing they were going to do that was going to overcome 13-point lead that late in the ballgame. So it got them to where they needed to be, and then there was that turning point where Rutgers could have tipped it to maybe make it a one- or two-possession ball game. And Bryce was like, uh-uh, not going to happen. So you can argue with me about it, but I'm telling you, there's two turning points in this one. Well, before we go into blue-tinted glasses, one more time, Mikey, I'm going to stand up and give some nice applause to the Seton Hall faithful. The Rock has become a big-time home court advantage, and I hope it continues through the Big East season. I mean, at one point, Mike, Bryce Aiken goes in, goes up with a little left-handed floater, gets fouled for the and one, and the guys were running back on defense because they couldn't hear the whistle, Mike. It no, was Bryce was complaining. Loud. Bryce was looking at the ref going, where's the foul? And he already <laughs> exactly. called it. Exactly. It was loud. And I mean, supposedly they had 2,600 kids in the student section this evening. And Mike, keep in mind that the undergrads only number about 6,000 at Seton Hall. That is impressive. Look, the, the energy is electric, and it's pregame, it's during the game, it's at timeouts. It's, it's just, once again, when you're putting 2,600 students, and we don't know how much they pregamed before they got there, but when you put that many students, you know, energized into the arena, it, it's just going to permeate through everybody else in that building. Tom, it wasn't just the one play with Aiken in the second half. Early on, there were two and one foul calls that you did not hear that Seton Hall got in their favor. It was just that loud. I, for some reason, it didn't come through on the broadcast in the Texas game. I don't know what they did to tweak it since it was another in-studio broadcast, but I felt the energy in this one even more than I felt watching the Texas game. And fans have already been tweeting out there that the energy level in both games was equally electric, equally off the charts. 
you know, Carino's saying it's not reaching the Villanova level yet, but I'm sorry. It's a difference maker now. I, I, we've never said that before. We're like, hope the crowd brings it. Good job. No, there's a distinct home court advantage now, and I hope they carry that throughout the rest of the season. So this shouldn't be like a little side note before we get into blue tinted glasses. Seton Hall has a home court advantage, Tom. That that's ex- like I'm, I'm broken record. That's exciting. It is very exciting. You know what was even more exciting, Mike? That they're even though Bryce Aiken was the closer, they didn't have to depend on a single guy this evening to get them baskets, to get them points, because five guys ended up in double figures. When guys need to step up, they did. Kadari Richmond played fantastic in the first half for 12 points. He could get to the rim whenever he wanted. It was like Matador defense by Rutgers. But second half was a little more rough. Here comes Bryce Aiken. Yes, I'm going to debate you on this. I think every they had multiple contributors throughout the game, considering there were five guys in double figures. So I don't want to disparage that. But when they needed a bucket at crucial times in this game, they clearly went to Roden. They clearly went to Aiken. Kadari had his stretch where he took over, but he didn't recapture that special magic in the second half. How? I don't know. Maybe they kind of you know, honed in on him a little more or keyed off of his pick and roll. But it, they clearly were leaning on those two guys to get big buckets. Mike, there's and time and time again, I'm trying to give credit here. There's time and time again, Roden and Aiden, and they got those big buckets. No, there's certainly a difference of going to someone when you need a bucket, but having guys, having multiple guys score is going to keep you from having those eight minute when you can't score a basket because you're waiting for Miles okay. Powell okay. to score that's a fair. basket or, or Mamu to score a basket. You've got more guys contributing, and that's positive. Speaking I, of contributing, Mike, how about those bigs again? I know he didn't quite get the double figures, but Tyrese went for seven points, nine rebounds, four more on the offensive side, played with a lot of energy and a lot of anger out there, Mike. And I, 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 liked, it. That- I liked it. I liked it. I like. I didn't like the fact that he got had Omori like stuff that, uh, that dunked down his throat in the second half. But, uh, you know, <laughs> but once again, Tyrese brought a different you level of energy to the front court. backhanded compliments. <laughs> Good, that was a nasty dunk. Forget that was a nasty dunk by Omori. Forget over the back on Omori over there on poor <laughs> Ike. He was climbing all over him. But we're going to start calling Tyrese Duncan Tyrese because he threw one down heavy this night. But he, okay, but he's not like he had the one on the baseline where the the defender didn't close out well. I forgot who it was for Rutgers, and he and he. Oh, I think it was a I think it was a Mori, and then he threw down that nasty tomahawk dunk, which we've seen from him. But he's getting it now, three feet from the basket where he normally would go up soft or try to flip something up there, and he's just going up with two hands and saying, "Get the heck out of my way!" A little mean streak again. The the mean streak two games in a row. Tommy, maybe all those scouts that were coming out for the Texas game. Maybe maybe it triggered something. Just I don't. Whatever it was, man, the light bulb seems like it might have gone off. You know, I don't expect twenty-two every night from him, but it was a different Tyrese that we saw the last two games that I think fans have been hoping for. We've been expecting. You get that? You get that mean streak from him. You get Yetna to maybe take some of those three pointers out of his arsenal. Yetna goes ten points, seven boards, four assists. I, I mean, maybe I just leading got caught up in the, the moment, man. Four assists. times leading the break. Yeah. I mean, and and I didn't expect this. I didn't expect on the defensive side to get the, whoa, did you see that moment from Alexis? Did you? 
I yelled at the top of my lungs. My family's dinner plates went clanking. I didn't think Alexis Yetna had the physicality in him to get up that high, Mike. You got Ron Harper Jr. barreling down on Jared Roden, bumps him down, puts up a little floater, and here comes Alexis Yetna with help, and he just rises and keeps rising. And I know you're going to complain because he didn't just tap it over to no, a buddy. No. He threw it into the third row, Michael! All right, so so here's here's my take on this play. I can't believe we're gonna dive too much into this, but I felt like Roden was playing some really solid defense, and you kind of just knew that Harper was gonna go uh, over his left shoulder with that right-handed little little jump hook. You just he's you got felt one it coming. Move, Michael. Okay, he's got I, I, one move. But you saw you saw Yetna creeping over little by little. You saw Yetna creeping over, and I'm I'm sitting on the edge of my seat this entire game. And when he threw that block into the third row, I, I don't do this that often. I got up and was talking trash to the TV. That's how much I hate Rutgers. Like, that's right. You send that crap back. <laughs> I, I'm I got caught up. I got caught up, got caught up in today's up. game. I'm surprised you're not complaining. It didn't wall up, Michael. Because you and you know what? The defense overall <laughs> was stout, Michael. Three more shot clock violations. They were switching on everything. They were moving their feet. It was outstanding. Okay, so... I'm really giving Kevin his due today. What is wrong with me? I was just out of character for myself. Uh, Kevin says it a lot that when early in the season, when he's got new guys, he's like, we need more time together. We're really set back because this guy was out for a couple of weeks or someone got the flu and we just had everybody on the court. And I got new guys to integrate in the system. And I'm sitting there going, well, you know, it's basketball, right? You know, why can't they just find a way to get into your system sooner? What, what am I missing? I thought tonight was a real illustration of what Kevin's talking about. Rutgers was trying to put Seton Hall into pick and roll action left and right throughout this game. It never flourished at all. Why? All five guys were interconnected defensively, switching on everything. So I don't want to pick on Ike because Ike's got his unique component of, you know, being a rim protector and, and sending shots back and making up for mistakes when guys get broken down on the perimeter. But all five of those guys were athletic today. Even when Trey was not playing his game offensively, on one side of the floor, he was still engaged defensively. They were constantly switching, and nobody got a clean lane to the basket. Everything was difficult. Everything was behind the three-point line, and I think that's what Kevin's talking about, being connected on defense, everybody knowing their responsibility. It wasn't just the pick and roll. How many times was Rutgers trying to run double pin-down screens where a guy was going to swing around the baseline, and you saw Roden or Kale kind of pointing the guy coming through, going, you stay at the three-point line, I'm going to stay at the lane with, I hate this, back to the basket, back to the ball, but they knew what they were running. And it was like, you got him, I got him, the entire game, the entire game. And what that allowed them to do, and this stood out to me as well, Roden and Kale were jumping every passing lane, every passing lane. They made them look stupid and was able to kind of ignite some easy baskets for us in the you know points off turnover and getting out on the break. That was the difference in this game. Rutgers did not get transition buckets on us like we did on them. And it all comes back to the defense, Tom. It all comes back to the defense. You know, there's not going to be a whole lot that we can complain about. You get a big win against uh, your little brother Rutgers down the hall. But let's, let's bring it up anyway. Once we got that big lead, Mike, once it ballooned up to 16, I feel like we got a little sloppy toward the end. 
we were sloppy. There was a chance to step on their throat and make this a 20-point runaway. And the shot selection, when we were up by 16, or even just the the style of play, I didn't like it. This is not a shot by Kale, but Kale brought the ball up on the left side, took a couple dribbles. I don't know what the heck happened. It was like Butterfingers, and it just kind of just gave it right back over to Rutgers on that one possession. We're up by 16. Then there's Yetna taking a deep wing three, you know, right in front of Coach Willard there in front of the bench. I don't mind when he's shooting on the baseline because it's a shorter three-pointer. I don't like him when he's that far out. He missed that one. Aiken comes down and does another bomb three-pointer. I, I know he makes one later in the game, but I'm just not a fan of that shot of his. I think it takes us out of our offense and it takes us out of our rhythm. And then Roden trying to compensate for those two bad three-pointers felt like we needed a bucket. He drove to his left, leans in against three defenders and tries to force something up and he didn't get a call. So that's four possessions in a row when we were up by 16, I think Roden had a bucket mixed into that, but there was a chance to kind of put them down by 20 and just end that game. And you have that little sloppy, you know, lapse right there. And before you know it, it's a six point game again. You get, uh, look, we, I don't think Rutgers is a good team. You get a better team on the other side of the ball there. You might cough up a 16 point lead. Have we seen that before? Sure. Have we seen that before? Hey, let's not talk about any Oregon in the Bahama games, okay, Mike? Or, or, the, Creighton, or the Creighton game last year? I'm hey, just hey, saying, I, I can't stomach I can't stomach those kind of games this year. Let, let's clean this up. All right, just to nitpick a little further, our three-point shooting was not any better tonight. 5 of 21 from 23. And Jameer Harris and Trey Jackson did not help us at all. They went 0 for 4 from three-point land. And Trey Jackson had, I mean, I believe he airballed both of his threes. It was He ugly. got the rim on one of them. He got the rim on one. Come on. Hey, hey you know, I'm going to say this, Mike. Is it too much to ask for to have some sort of play drawn up for Jameer Harris to get going because all of his threes are in difficulty mode. It doesn't look like we've got a play set up for it. And he's not that guy that can just go out there and get whatever shots he wants. We're not, we're not doing him any favors and he didn't see the floor at all in the second half. I'll tell you what, toward the end of that first half, who was playing the two? It was, Bryce Aiken was entered too. It was him and Kadari on the floor together. I'm telling you this, Jameer Harris is at the point. I think Kevin Willard has lost all confidence. Oh, say the word. Say the word. Go ahead. Is he in the? Uh, Come no, on, Tommy. No, no, it's not the. No, I don't think this is the doghouse. The doghouse is different. This is, you know. Come you on, know, they, Jack. Jackson they, had a really rough first half, and Jackson still saw the floor. Jackson saw the floor to go 0 for two from three, three fouls. He's double dribbling. In the, I mean, come on. But I mean, it's different with Jackson because we're down Ike. So it's you, you have to put someone in to give a breather to either Yetna or Samuel. So I could have gone Joe it. Smith. Could have gone Joe Smith there. I like what Joe I saw Smith. in the Nyack game. Come on. <laughs> oh, stop it. Stop it. Oh, but Mike, two big wins. One against, I'm going to say it one last time because I'm having a good time with it. The number seven team in the country. Where are we going to be this week when the top 25 rolls out on Monday? Uh, let, let, let me have my fun for a couple of minutes and you can cut out what you want to cut out in the editing. Look, there's a lot of teams that lost in the top 25 this week. This this has happened before, right? We've done, we've gone into this game against Rutgers and said, Tommy, if we win tonight, top 15, top 10, and then we lose the game. We didn't lose. Now we can have some fun. Villanova, Texas, Kentucky, 
Arkansas, Tennessee, Houston, Yukon, Florida, Wisconsin, all ahead of us in the top 25. They all lost. Tom, That to me, that feels like we're going to jump up somewhere around like 14 or 15. How about this? Nova's Nova was six. Nova's now lost three games. Seton Hall's lost one. They're going to jump ahead. Of, they're going to go from 23 and jump ahead of Nova, even Nova only lost to, to number two Baylor, but they look bad. They look bad losing to number two Baylor. They only scored 37 points. Are we going to jump? Are we going to jump ahead of Nova, Tom? I'll tell you this, Mike. I'm normally not all that bullish on rankings. I normally kind of say it's going to be less than it's going to be, if only not to disappoint myself. I see a 12 coming up here, Mike. Oh, I, now you're going to make me start diving into this. I, look, there's there's Iowa State. There's U, uh, USC. I, I don't see us jumping ahead of Ohio State, who beat us head-to-head. I can't see us jumping ahead of a team that's undefeated, and I still can't see us jumping ahead of Ohio State that has beaten Duke at number one and has also beaten us. So as much as I want to sit there and say we're going to get some extra votes because of the style factor this week, I don't. I think we're right there around 14. I, I wouldn't be shocked if all of a sudden – we're still not ahead of Texas or Villanova because some, you know, writers have their heads up their asses. I, I would not be shocked, but it should be somewhere around 14 this week. But forget about rankings. Rankings is all style points, right? Right now, Seton Hall's metrics going into tonight's game, Ken Palm 30, a net of 23. Tom, that's got a feeling of somewhere in that early season 5C projection. That's, that's second weekend opportunities when you start talking about a 5 seed. So you might not like it. I'm not saying that that Michigan lost again this week, but I think the resume now is becoming so strong by itself that, hey, they beat Iona potentially 10 and one in the non-conference. We we were saying in the preseason, nine and two would be pushing the envelope and they're going to be favored now to get to 10 and one in the out of conference. If they can get past Rick Pitino and Iona. We wouldn't be seeing Hall fans if we didn't start worrying going forward with Iona coming into Madison Square Garden for a neutral site game. Iona last year was 12-6, and ending second in the MAC. They were a 15 seed, losing to Alabama in the NCAA tournament. Um, but they, they gave them everything they could handle in that game for a half. I, I think they were either down one or they were up one. You know, and then in the second half, Alabama finally pulled away. You know, I'm not surprised. You know, we played them last year. You forgot? You know, they, they had their COVID pause. It was the first game that uh, Rick's team took the floor, and they led us 37-35 at the half as well before we pulled away for a 22-point victory. But Rick puts together a scrappy team on the floor, and then they come back again this year, 8-2, and 2-0 and in conference play, strong numbers, in the net at 54 and guess what they got alabama back alabama number 10 they knocked them off on a neutral site they got a solid win against liberty hofstra harvard and their two losses very respectable kansas at that same neutral site tournament by 13 and a solid belmont team they lost to i think by seven now you i, I, I look i know it's iona i know we should win we're going to be favored to win 
cannot take this team lightly. Well, I, you, no, I'd be more surprised that we lost to Rutgers. Come on. You can't take anything that Rick Pitino puts together lightly. But, you know, Iona sold itself to the devil, brought Rick Pitino in to coach. But he's put together a really heck of a roster, man. And it starts with Nelly Jr. Joseph. He's a sophomore out of the NBA Academy Africa. He was the MAC rookie of the league last year. He's a 6'9 forward. 14 points a game, 8 rebounds, and almost 2 blocks. Additionally, they've got Tyson Jolly, a 6'4 guard. He was a transfer out of SMU. Can you believe an SMU kid went to Iona? He was all AAC last year, currently averaging 14 points as well, and he's shooting 40% from 3. I just think Rick is going to find the right guys to play his system, right? He also has Quinn Selinski, a 6'8 forward. He's a Louisville transfer. You know, he's got this kid, Elijah Joyner, who's a fifth-year COVID uh, senior, transferred from Tulsa. He's averaging almost 10 points a game. And he's got another 6'9 forward in Dylan Van Eck, uh, 9.7 points per game, five boards, and 50% from three. You start giving Patino some time, he's going to put five guys out on that floor that have talent, that play his system. I don't know if they have the depth to go toe-to-toe with Seton Hall, but they're not devoid of talent, right? I mean, they didn't lose, they didn't beat Alabama by by smoke and mirrors. You know, what they do well, they get to the free throw line. They're third nationally in both free throws made and free throws attempted at 17 makes per game and 24 trips to the line. Tom, we got Obiagu, but they're blocking as a team 6.2 shots per game, which is 12th nationally. And last but not least, I thought we were holding teams to shoot poorly behind the three-point line. But remember, Willard's a Patino disciple. They are holding their opponents 24% from behind the arc, which is third nationally. So that they, they do do some things well. Let's talk about where Seton Hall can exploit them. You mentioned that they block 6.2 shots per game, but I'm betting they're trying to swat other things because they're also allowing their opponents to get to the line almost 20 times per game, which is 308th nationally, Mike. They don't rebound a darn against better teams. Kansas beat them by dominating the glass plus 15 16 of them on the offensive side and they also forced them to turn the ball over 18 times see that's not true you, you just you just saw the big number on the board that, that kansas beat them beat them up on the glass i think that's one way to beat them belmont beat them and believe it or not i think they were minus 20 on the glass that game but belmont protected the ball they only had five turnovers and they got to the free throw line and doubled them up at their own game 22 attempts versus Iona's 11. I, I think you just got to be physical with this team. I mean, that's the takeaway that I'm seeing from some of these stats. They're going to try to run you off the three-point line based on their metrics on shooting the shooting the three-pointer. Fine. That's not our game anyway. Get into the lane, attack the basket, get to the free throw line, beat them at their own game, put their big in foul trouble, and use your depth to, to outlast them. Maybe Ike comes back. I don't know. But I'd be confident the way that Yetna and Samuel are playing, that that's enough to outlast their athleticism on the front line. Okay, Mike, only game of the week. It's Saturday night. It'll give our hearts a bit of time to relax and rest. Where do you see this game going? I already gave you my prediction on the last show. I gave you a 2-0 week for the Pirates this week. 
I put my name on the line. You were like, wow, I committed to it. And then I said, I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to give you the Iona win. Mikey, I, what have you done for me lately? You're still going with the Iona win, I see. I'm absolutely. They're, they're going 10 and 1 in the non-conference. They're going to make us look stupid. We had them at like 7 and 4. They're going to go 10 and 1. Wow. I mean, what a turnaround for this, guys. How well have they jailed so far, Michael? And their one loss on a last-second long three-point shot to lose to Ohio State. Man, this is turning into something we didn't You know what it's turning into, Tommy? I'm I'm, going to get greedy. I'm going to look way ahead, and you're going to get mad at me. Come on, man. Let's take it to St. John's to open up the Big East season at home. No, no, right? don't look Come on. ahead. I, 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 we are, we are, we are. There is no, there's no letdowns versus the Paul this year, Tommy. And then I'm sorry. You could love yourself some Ed Cooley all you want. We're going into Providence three and zero to start okay, the Big Mike, East season. Going a little ridiculous now. Let's test. You know, Tommy, you know what this bit. lines up for? You know what this lines up for? This Stop lines up it, for Mike. New Year's Day, Tommy. Tommy, let me let me say it. 13 and one Seton Hall, probably in the top 10. Hosting who? Hosting who? Bring the cats in, Tommy. Bring the cats in, you baby. Just, I can't believe you just mushed the Pirates, Mike. First, I can't get you to actually give me a prediction. Now you're looking down the calendar, down the schedule, reading the tea leaves, telling me what they're going to do in this January. This is what happens. I haven't had a chance to let reality set in and sleep what on it for a night. What happens is you've had one too many of those Stellas you're drinking right now. No, we right shouldn't now. be podcasting right after the final buzzer. This is what happens. I, I, I'm not rational. So the heck with it, man. Second weekend, we're going to dominate the Big East. We're the hunted now, baby. We're the hunted. I like it better this way, Mike. So next Saturday, we're going to be sitting back watching the Pirates blow out Iona, and we're going to be screaming, Go Pirates! Go Big Blue! Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at L Coast Pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Gaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 